This is Positively Farming Media. After a long day at my desk, one of my fave ways to unwind is with my flock by throwing a grubbly happy hour. The best part about a grubbly happy hour is you can enjoy it in whatever way suits you best. Whether you choose to do a leisurely stroll as your feathered friends follow you for more, rage throw them at the sky so they rain down and melt the day's stressors away, or get fancy and mix up a grublito for your flock and mojito for yourself, there's no wrong way to do it. All you need is a bag of Grubbly Farms Grubblies and the energy to get to where your cluckin' BFFs are. To get yours, go to grublyfarms.com and use code DRINKINFARM25 for 25% off your first bag. And take the mental stress off your party planning by subscribing and having your Grubblies auto-delivered, and you'll also save on every shipment. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. I am Bev Ross, your temporary solo host uh, for the time being. And I am so excited to bring you today's episode because I thought that it would be really fun to go all the way back to the beginning and actually all the way before the beginning. So this episode that you're going to hear here on our feed is actually a replay from the Living Homegrown podcast, and it is episode 122, and it is the very first podcast interview I ever did. So we'll get into a little more uh, about that in just a second, but first I want to make sure to thank our drink peep, Kayla Woods. She's at Honey Creek Homestead over on the Instagram, so cheers, lady. And today uh, I am enjoying coffee, zero, zero surprises. And this is actually the Solstice blend. Sol- How do I say that? Oh my gosh, I just totally stumbled over my words. Solstice blend, which is a Costa Rican blend of coffee from my friends over at Ancient Valley Coffee Company, which are the friends that I partnered with for our pop-up Christmas store in Greenfield called Kringle's Confections. So it's a really fun partnership of sorts, and I really love our coffee. So I'm drinking it on our podcast. And you can actually get a bag of this coffee by going to kringlesconfections.com. There will be a link to it in the show notes, and you can order it online. We have all the licenses to bag and ship appropriately. So you can choose holding or ground, and that's it for the plug part of (laughs) this intro. All right. So like I mentioned, we're going all the way back to the beginning and before the beginning. This is the very first podcast episode interview that I ever did. And I thought that uh, you would find it interesting to kind of hear how I got introduced to podcasting and how I got into podcasting. 
So in order to get this interview with Teresa Lowe from the Living Homegrown podcast, I actually sent her a message through social media. And it was just a cold message that I sent her out of the blue. We happened to have some mutual connections, which I think helped. She is very good friends with a friend of my mother-in-law, which I know that sounds really distant, but it sort of shows how the seven degrees of separation kind of have us all connected and kind of give you those door openings into opportunities. And I listened to her podcast while I was prepping for my move to Ohio from Phoenix And her podcast is actually the podcast that I worked at and worked on before we started Drink and Farm. So at the time of this recording that you're about to hear, I hadn't started Drink and Farm yet. I had never been on a podcast before. I wasn't sure exactly if telling my story was going to be something I was going to be able to do. But I think you'll hear that I think podcasting kind of came naturally to me. And it was really the bug that kind of bit me and made me want to start a podcast. As soon as I was done with this interview, I knew that audio storytelling was what I wanted to do, but I didn't exactly know how to get a go about it. So in a nutshell, that was why I ended up working on her podcast for so many years. Now, the Living Homegrown podcast isn't uh, releasing new episodes anymore, but you can still get all of the episodes over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And without giving away too much more, let's go ahead and dive in and listen to this episode of the Living Homegrown podcast. On this week's episode, I dive into an interview with one of my listeners, one of you. Her name is Bev Ross, and she is a homesteader, and she lives in Ohio. And the reason I wanted to interview Bev is that she just went through a big life change from living in the city in Phoenix, Arizona, to moving out to a more rural area of Ohio and starting to homestead. But instead of trying to drop everything with her job and with her husband's job and, you know, trying to farm, that's not what her goal was. She just wanted to live closer to her food. She wanted to live a more farm fresh lifestyle. She basically wanted to do everything that we cover on this podcast, but she couldn't really do it where she was currently living. So I thought it would be really an interesting interview to show how she made that transition, what made her, what sparked the idea, what made her decide to do this, and uh, how she's balancing her work life and her family life with trying to homestead at the same time. So that's what we're going to dive into on this week's episode. And we dive into everything from when she first got her first dozen chicks and, you know, how that worked out for her to how she is handling living living in a whole new area and trying to bring more local food into her family's lifestyle. So let me tell you a little bit about Bev. Bev Ross is an accountant, a new homesteader, and now she is a blogger that just moved her family from the desert suburbs of Phoenix to rural Ohio. 
Working for an environmental consulting firm, she's always been passionate about the environment and sustainable food, and she just wanted to live a lifestyle that also matched her values. So in June of 2017, just a few months ago, with only minor convincing to her husband and family, they settled on 12 acres in a tiny town of less than 900 people. And she just had to promise a a woodworking workshop to her husband and baby chicks to her kids. And she was able to convince them to take this journey with her. Now, Bev and her husband both continue to work for their respective companies, but now they do it from 1,800 miles away. So they're both telecommuting and able to start this homesteading life at the same time. So what Bev is doing right now is on the side, she is sharing her journey and her progress in homesteading on her new blog, Ross Root. And in the show notes, I will link to everything that we talk about, including Bev's blog. And to get to the show notes for today's episode, you just go to livinghomegrown.com slash 122, and I'll have everything there for you. So what Bev is sharing on her blog is everything from how she's clearing and planting her new garden, uh, the chicken tending that she's starting to do, to foraging in the woods and cooking and planning the next project, And she dyes fiber and spins yarn. So she covers all of that on her blog. And she and her husband have a little Etsy shop that they have also started up. And I'm going to link to that as well. And I just have to tell you that aside from the beautiful colored dyed fiber that she has on their Etsy shop, her husband makes these really cool little notebooks using uh, the six-pack beer cartons, the little thing that holds the beer, he turns those into the covers of his uh, notebooks and they are so cool looking. So I'm going to link to that as well in the show notes. So let me just share with you my conversation that I had with Bev. I think you'll find it really interesting. I actually find it really inspiring that they just picked up their roots and moved so that they could live the lifestyle that they want and be closer to their food. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. So here we go. Hey, Bev, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show because I think your story is very similar to the same story that I have with a lot of my listeners. A lot of people are wanting to get into homesteading and they're feeling kind of like, you know, they want to make the leap, but they're not sure about it. And you guys are making the leap. Actually, you've made the leap and you're stepping towards in deeper into the homesteading thing. And so that's why I thought this was such a great, fantastic story. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us on the podcast today. I guess we should start by having us having you talk a little bit about why you even wanted to start homesteading. What drew you to the idea of homesteading? That's a really good question. I started getting interested in homesteading the first time that my husband, which was then my boyfriend at the time, we were part of a Bountiful Baskets co-op and we purchased this really large box of corn. Uh, We had friends that were from Iowa and they used to go back home and visit family and then they would come back with these boxes of corn and they would freeze them like for the winter, you know, Phoenix winter. (laughs) Not like we can't get fresh vegetables in Phoenix in the (laughs) wintertime. I totally get it. Yeah. (laughs) So we saw that that was an option with our Bountiful Baskets co-op and we bought this big box of corn and we spent a day on our balcony just shucking corn and doing, you know, the parboiling it, cutting it off the cob, putting it in the food saver baggies and and putting them in the freezer. 
And we really enjoyed doing that. And we were also able to make a lot of meals out of it. And I sort of saw how convenient being able to preserve my own food made meal prepping. So that was like the very, very beginning of it. So that like sparked the sparked the idea in you that being connected to your food was something that you wanted to do. Yeah. And eating good food is is something that we had always been into. We joined our Bountiful Baskets co-op because we wanted, you know, fresh vegetables from our local area. And so every Saturday we would go pick up our box and we'd get to have fun making new things and getting vegetables we'd never heard of. Like okra was something we had never eaten, you know, being in the desert. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not something you had on a typical day. <laughs> no. And it turns out I, I don't really care for okra. So <laughs> that's okay. I'll be planning any anytime soon. <laughs> but it was, it was stuff like that that sort of got us to be more creative with our cooking and, and eating. And, and our Bountiful Baskets co-op turned into, you know, like going to farmer's markets to pick up fresh food that was in season because food that you get fresh out of a garden or, or fresh from your farmer's market, it tastes totally different than what you pick up at the grocery store. There's just no comparison. Absolutely, it does. I, I agree with you 100%. And I think that that is kind of, it's like the gateway drug, <laughs> you know, realizing yeah. that it's the gateway drug into realizing how much more there is that we kind of miss out on if we weren't raised doing that. So what you are describing is really typical, I think, of a lot of people that they start getting introduced to that. And what a fantastic way that you were getting food brought to you in your co-op that you had never experimented with before, and you were getting the best of the best in season so you could play and experiment with it. So as you started doing this, then you started getting more and more interested in perhaps growing your own or even homesteading. But what was holding you back from doing that at the time? Well, we moved from our apartment into a house in the Phoenix suburbs, and we had about a third of an acre. And we backed up to the largest municipal park in the United States. It's a South Mountain Park. It has miles and miles of trails. There was a big mountain in the background, no neighbors behind us. It, it was really a perfect spot to have enough space, uh, but also do sort of, you know, like an urban garden or homestead type of thing. So when we moved there, I started putting in a small garden and practicing growing vegetables. Um, but then I realized that our house was uh, east and west facing. So mm -hmm. in the very early morning, everything that was in pots out front got baked by the Phoenix sun and everything that was in the backyard got baked by the Phoenix sun as the sun set. Ah, that's, yeah, yeah, you had kind of a challenge there with the heat. Yeah. So we played with shade cloths and, you know, we planted a couple of trees to create some shade um, in areas so that we could get strategic with where we were planting things. But we never actually got any further than our small little garden beds in Phoenix because we started looking into trying to get backyard chickens and our HOA did not allow them. Mm. So we could not have backyard chickens where we were at. But we also backed up to South Mountain, which means that we had coyotes and javelinas and, you know, other things that were able to come into our yard because coyotes can just jump over a six foot high fence. They, oh, don't, yeah. they don't care about your fence. Yeah, th that means nothing to them. <laughs> so my husband was like, we can't really have chickens here anyways because the coyotes are just going to come in here and eat them. It doesn't matter how 
well we build the coop or how diligent we are, like that's just not going to happen. So we were, I, I was kind of bummed at first. I'm like, man, like I can't have chickens here. I can't figure out how to get anything to grow. Um, I went and did a couple of garden tours in Tempe. There's a guy named Jake Mace. He has like created these, uh, like these climates inside his backyard so that he can grow even more than what you can normally get in Phoenix. Cause it's so hot there. There is certain, there are certain things that you, that you just can't grow there, but he has got it all figured out with his shade trees and the way that he's put his pond and his sprinkler system creates like these microclimates for things. And I started thinking like, maybe I can do that and I'll just forget about the animals and we'll plant more trees back here. And, but then there were more rules. We had these uh, electric um, poles going through part of our backyard and the electric company doesn't want trees under them. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So it, it's really funny. Like you buy your property and you think like, I own this, this is my land, I can do what I want with it. But when you live in a big municipality, there there are so many rules and, and laws that are in place. And a lot of them are, you know, to protect you and to protect your neighbors and, and everybody's home values and safety. But it doesn't make it very easy to, to do those sorts of things that you want to do in smaller spaces of land. Because like, if we couldn't plant trees under the power lines, we couldn't shade the backyard you know, from the sun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're, you're bringing up a really good point because this is something that happens to people all across the country, not just where you were, that when you live in the city, you know, especially with chickens, that's a big thing. I know a lot of people who want to have chickens aren't able to have chickens, so they do it on the, on the sly which is fine until you accidentally get a rooster. <laughs> and, yeah. and then it's sometimes a little hard to hide that. Uh, but no, that's, that's a really good point. Want to be the first to try Ross Roos Farm's experimental series goat milk soaps and be surprised each quarter by what's in your shower, but in a good way? Then my soap CSA is for you. Choose the CSA share that best fits your soapy needs. Each month or quarter, you'll receive either two or four bars of the latest styles and scents of the season. Ross Roos Farm Goat Milk Soap is made in Bainbridge, Ohio with milk from our farm, oils and butters that cleanse and soften the skin, fresh herbs and flowers from the garden or locally sourced, natural pigments, essential oils, and fragrance oils that have been thoroughly tested for skin safety and scent longevity. I never use palm oil. Bring joy to your daily cleansing routine and get your first soap CSA box by going to rossroosfarm.com slash soap. So I know when we were talking and when I was reading your blog that you guys made a shift and you decided that moving was what you wanted to do so that you could homestead at the same time. Now, one of the things that was interesting that you've been sharing is that you did not want to drop your jobs and farm. So that's not what we're talking about here. You guys both want to continue working, but you wanted to be able to grow your own food and all that comes with it. So what were you guys looking to do with what were you looking for for moving? 
So we decided that we were going to move to Ohio after we had spent a few summers here. My husband is originally from Ohio, so that's why we picked this specific state. We did some research on Colorado um, and New Mexico. We were thinking that we were going to try to stay on the west, you know, the west side of the country because that's where we were at. Um, but after spending a few summers here, we were like, it would be really nice to be closer to family and get to do our homesteading. Uh, in the summer of 2016, we uh, spent six weeks here. And on the very last week that we were here, I stumbled across another homesteader's blog. And as I was reading it, I just thought to myself, like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. Like, why are we going back and forth from Phoenix to cooler climates? Because it gets so hot in Phoenix, you, you can't do anything in August. So we were leaving like all of July and August until the kids had to go back to school. So if you're leaving all the time, you can't necessarily have animals or plants either because you're not there to take care of them. And I just, I just thought to myself, like, why aren't we doing this? So I started pulling up real estate listings while we were sitting on the couch all hanging out. And I just kept like turning my computer around and showing them to my husband. <laughs> and then his mom was like, yeah, I mean, you guys could totally move to Ohio. And my husband was like, you know, you're right. Like, we could totally move to Ohio. I don't know why we're, we're fighting this. Like we had both been working from home at that point for about a year. So we were already traveling a lot because we work from home. So as long as there's an internet connection, we can go places and have long visits. So that was our first criteria, internet connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's a big one. That you guys were really lucky in that you had jobs that you could do that. And and you still have the same jobs, right? Even though you've moved, you still are working the same jobs, but you are working through the internet. Yeah, we both have our exact same jobs. My boss was really supportive of it, which I was worried about at first because Jared, like he works for a bigger corporation. So he was already marked as a like telework employee. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have any worries that his boss was going to have any issues. But I, I worked for a local company, but worked at home. Ah. And and my company is smaller. We have eight employees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of advantages to having a, an employee working at home. They can still be able to work things around their family. And that keeps them very, very loyal because they they want to be able to do that. So uh, there's a lot of advantages for the companies as well. So you guys were really lucky. That's fantastic. So you guys had having the internet connecting was your first criteria. And then what else were you looking for in your property? Because I know you wanted to have animals. Yeah, so I started doing research on, in all of the different counties in Ohio and what their livestock laws were. So in the state of Ohio, as long as you have 5.1 acres or more, you could, uh, you, you could have livestock animals. Ah, that was that okay. was the only the only rule you had to have 5.1 acres. There are certain uh, townships or areas where they don't have laws barring it, or they they have made their own laws, like stating that you know anything more than an acre you can have farm animals on. So it it just really depends on on what town or township or or county you end up in. So that was why I started my research at you know the the larger level and sort of worked my way down. And uh, as my search went along and I was calling places, I finally got a real estate agent involved, which was what I 
needed to do earlier on probably, but our real estate agent was was excellent once we decided on a county. So you really did your homework. Yeah, I did a lot of homework. I think I spent three months straight just on the computer looking things up before we even started like really nailing down specific houses that we wanted to look at. So once you found your property, what was it that really cinched the decision for you? Because I think it's like 12 acres, isn't it? Yeah, we have almost 12 acres. I want to say it's like 11.87 or something like that. (laughs) It all counts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Um, this, uh, the property that we ended up at, it, it wasn't a place that I found. It, it was a place that our real estate agent found. Ah. So we were able to get a really incredible house with a big piece of property, like within our budget. That's great. That's fantastic. So then you guys got the property and describe now what you have currently there. Cause you, I know you have chickens. What, what else have you been doing? So the house actually already had an orchard. And, you know, I should probably mention when we came and looked at the house, it was October of last year. So it was just about a year ago. We came and we looked at it and the trees didn't have any leaves on them. You know, like the garden buds were, you know, just dirt. So it was hard to kind of see what what was already here. But the homeowners told us what was here already. We have three peach trees. We have some plums and there's also cherries we didn't get any plums or cherries this year, but I think that part of that might have been because of when we moved. We didn't really show up here until June of this last year. Cherries are usually uh, pretty early, so yeah, you probably missed them. Yeah, so I think we missed those, or the birds probably got them, yeah. which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> but we did get both of our peach trees bloomed. One of them was you know, the classic yellow peaches, and the other one was white peaches. So those came on a month after the yellow peaches. So it was a lot of fun to go out and see the one peach tree uh, fruiting and getting ready to get ripe. And we're looking at the other peach tree, and we're like, what's wrong with you, other peach tree? Why aren't <laughs> you making peaches also? And then a month later they pop on and start to ripen. And we're like, oh, these must be a different kind of peach. <laughs> we had to keep going out there daily, like checking on everything to, to figure out what everything is. Because I think that's one of the things uh, that people forget about as well. Like all of the knowledge about each individual plant has to be obtained somehow. Because you just can't remember or recall all of all of that stuff. So even once you find out that like you have peaches, like each season is different, each year is a little different. So you have to sort of do, do some research and and figure out like what is this that I have and and how do I take care of it again? Like Yeah, that's a really good point and and I'm glad you brought that up because um I have a farmstead up in northern California and we have a lot of different apple trees and one of the things I did that because I started having the same problem as I was confusing, like, wait, was this the tree that was early or was it that tree that was early apple? You know, I couldn't remember. So I immediately started keeping a journal of that. And you're right. The same apple tree can be completely different the following year, or the same fruit tree. So that that's 
absolutely true. It's good to keep records as you go and you'll learn your own uh, area and weather and all of that. So anyone who's doing this, that's a good place to start is to write everything down because you think you're going to remember, but you don't. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you never do. And in fact, I really regret not writing down more. I probably should have. I have a really nice gardening journal and I started it and I was really good about it when I first started. But then, of course, I, I got busy because it's summertime here and there's so much to do to take care of almost 12 acres. Yeah. So I, I ended up sort of letting that drop. Yeah. In fact, and one of our apple trees, it's funny that you mentioned the early apples. One of our apple trees is an early apple tree and I didn't realize it. And when I went out to pick the apples, the first apple tree, those were all gone. No. <laughs> and then the second and third apple trees, those weren't really ready yet. I'm like, yeah. how, yep. like, how do I figure out like what to do? I just, I had to go out there every couple of days and pick a piece of fruit off and test it. Yep. That was essentially what I did to figure out what to do about our orchard. (laughs) Yeah, I had to do the same thing. And there was one apple tree that I had that I thought was a green apple. And so uh, we we harvested it and we made pies with it. And we thought it was the best green apple ever. And then it turned red. (laughs) We realized (laughs) that we had been picking it too early. So... So it was very tart when it wasn't ready, but and it did make a good pie apple, but it was actually a red apple. So, you know, you live and learn. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Have you checked out the Drink and Farm merch shop lately? It's time you do. The shop has just been updated with the latest designs, which means you can drink, farm, and give zero clucks in style. We have a great selection of quality tees, tanks, lightweight zip-up hoodies, notebooks, and so much more. Plus, every purchase from our shop supports producing this show, which means we can keep bringing you the content you love. To shop, go to drinkandfarm.com shop. And Patreon peeps, don't forget you get a sweet discount on every purchase at the Gifty Peep tier and above. The link to Patreon is in the navigation bar in our shop so you can learn more about joining or look up the latest code in a jiffy. That link again is drinkandfarm.com slash shop. And thanks for being here. Well, when you uh, started blogging about this, one of the things that I read on your blog was about finding local food in your new area. So talk to me a little bit about that, because this was very different from where you were before. You you had a lot more local food options at your new location. Yeah, and that really surprised me, uh, which I, I'm not really sure right now, or I'm not really sure anymore why it surprised me, because we do live in the middle of a big like farming community. So it makes sense that there would be a lot of fresh local food around. But the area that we live in has a lot of Amish and Mennonites. We we have both. So I would ask our new neighbors, where do you go to get, you know, corn? Corn is coming up in season. Where do you get your corn? And she'd go, oh, you just drive up this highway and take a left. And then on the right, you'll see this little farmstead. And that's where we get all of our corn. They grow it and and they pick it and they sell it right there. And they also have a bunch of other things. So I would just get in the car and drive down this country road in a direction that I was pretty sure was the right one <laughs> and sort of circle around a little bit, look around because there, there's no cell phone service out where the Mennonites and the Amish are either. So I can't exactly use Google Maps. Yeah, yeah. I would stumble upon it and I would get out and I was just, I was amazed at everything that they had to choose from. Like not only did they have corn, but they would have potatoes and tomatoes and peppers and eggs and fresh ground beef. So 
I figured out within just the first couple of weeks of being here that I didn't have to go to the grocery store, which is kind of a relief because our closest big grocery store is about 35 minutes away. So a lot of the farm stands have closed now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of um, how the preserving food ties into this as you stock up on the things um, from them or that you grow yourself over the summer and you preserve them so that you can eat them over the winter and still have, you know, good canned vegetables or frozen frozen vegetables um, and not have to run to the store yep, three times that, a week during the winter also. Yep, that's absolutely correct. And uh, I know you started to experiment with that. You were writing about how you want to start cellaring some of your vegetables and fruit and things like that. So you'll have things over the winter. And you also mentioned that you that the milk out there was amazing, which I can only imagine that you have fantastic tasting milk close by you. Yes. And in fact, I found it. Um, the milk is uh, done by an Amish farmer. They have a small online presence so that you can join their milk shares. So you can't you can't buy or sell raw milk in the state of Ohio, but you can own a share in a milk farm and then ah. they can give you raw milk. Yeah. So that's how we ended up being able to get raw milk here because I'm interested in cheese making and, and all sorts of things. I'm I sort of have homesteading ADD, I guess is a good way to <laughs> describe it. I want to do and make everything at least once so that I can pick and choose what things I really want to focus on. Because I know that working and homesteading and I, I have two children also, or we have two children also. <laughs> yes. We, you can't really like do everything. <laughs> right. So have your kids gotten into the homesteading at all? Like have they gotten bitten by the homesteading bug since you've moved there? Yeah, the animals have been the thing that I think that they're most excited about. We have a neighbor that's a part of 4-H, and she raises hogs for them. And uh, we took the kids to the fair, and they got to see her hog and, and see her auction it off. So the kids have decided that they do want to join 4-H and do that as well. So Orion has recently become responsible for the chickens, which is a great, which is great timing for me because now it's really cold and wet outside early in the morning. So Orion's <laughs> been going out there and letting them out. <laughs> <laughs> that works out perfectly. <laughs> it does. Um, but, you know, getting kids involved in the homestead has a lot of responsibilities with it as well. I go out and I go double check his work every morning after he's already gone off to go to school, you know, just to make sure that the chickens really do have fresh water and, and they have enough food and, you know, that, that their coop really is clean enough. We're using the deep litter method for the coop uh, mm -hmm. since we're getting into wintertime. That way they can stay warm enough. But there's a balance to that. You know, you've got to, like, move the straw around and, you know, make sure that there's not, you know, a, a bunch of chicken droppings everywhere stinking the place up. So it's it's been really fun uh, to teach him what sort of things the chickens need and what to look out for to to have them, you know, keep an eye out because we're responsible for these animals and humanely raising them and uh, having a good time with them are both equally important to me. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and just so in case any of the listeners don't know, the deep litter method is where you're leaving the droppings, but you are layering. Is it straw that you put on top so that it ends up uh, you're kind of composting in place, right? And it helps keep the coop warm. 
Yep, that's exactly what we're doing. I had started with pine shavings, but I found them to be really dusty. There was just dust everywhere. And chickens can be prone to respiratory issues. Mm -hmm. And so I switched over to straw to keep some of the dust down, but also still get to do the composting. So I found straw works best. Right. And then what's so great about this is it does help keep the coop warm. And then when you're all finished, uh, when the compost is kind of ready, you can take from the bottom and actually use that in, you know, in your garden and it can really make a difference. So that's fantastic that you're doing that. How currently are you able to balance? Because you are still working from home and now you have this property. And I I noticed that one of the things you talked about, whether you even realize it or not, was that you were taking baby steps to add things in in a way that you could handle them. So you haven't you've been trying very hard not to overwhelm yourself. So how have you been balancing everything? Yeah. So when we first got here, the first thing that I started with was chickens because chickens was like, that was the, that was the animal that I just absolutely couldn't have where we were at in Phoenix. So before we even left Phoenix, I ordered our chickens and had a delivery date so that they were here exactly um, four days after we arrived. Oh, good job. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a coop and everything already here, but you know, I ordered them as day old chicks. So I knew that I was going to have eight or nine or 12 weeks before I had to worry about putting them in the coop. (laughs) Fantastic. Chickens was what I started with. And, and I quickly realized that 11 chickens is kind of a lot for one person to try to take care of. <laughs> so I overwhelmed myself at first really quickly. And, you know, my family is really excited and, and supportive of it. Also, we have a, a six year old and she was really excited about the baby chicks and, and we have a 12 year old and he thought the baby chicks were kind of neat. And my husband really liked them also, but still like I was the one that wanted to do the homesteading. That was really like my thing that I was really into. So I really wanted to try to make it so that I can take care of everything, you know, in, in some semblance on my own. Cause you know, the kids want to do sports and school activities and, and we want to be able to go to their games and drive them to go do things. And, and in order to do that, sometimes there's only going to be one person here. So I can't get so many things that it requires all hands on deck all the time. Otherwise homesteading is the only thing we do. There's other things that I'm interested in as well. So I have to sort of keep myself in check, I guess, is is the right word in order to do all of my other hobbies and still be social and, you know, a great mom and a great wife and and still have this cool homestead. <laughs> yeah, that is really the part that I think is an important point to get across. And and that is that, you know, you you know, we always hear the stories of the people who went all in. They they quit their jobs and they are trying to make a living farming, which is great and it's a great story and very inspiring. But then there's so many people like you and even like me, I like to do these things, but it's not I'm not making my living, you know, raising chickens or growing food. But I want that to be a big part of my family's life. And so you you did this in a in a very big way, but you're trying to keep it in balance. And so just being careful and not getting too excited, I guess, is the biggest takeaway. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Especially, you know, you read some of the blogs and uh, there's a really great book uh, that Shay over at the Elliott Homestead put out. It's called Welcome to the Farm. When I read that book sitting in the empty house, um, we bought the house about four months before we actually moved into it. So my husband and I were flying back and forth from Phoenix to here uh, to try to 
keep taking care of things because it's a pretty big house and a pretty big property. So leaving it empty for four months wasn't really an option. I was sitting here by myself reading this book and I'm like, I want to raise hogs and I want bees. And <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm calling my husband. I'm like, she makes all of this look so easy. And he's like, I know that she makes it look easy, but like have a couple of months where we wake up really early to, you know, let the chickens out. That was our first, that, that was our first sort of, um, I guess, wake up call to what taking care of animals is really like. Mm -hmm. So once the chickens moved into the coop, you know, the sun rises here at like six o'clock in the morning during the summer. They don't want to be trapped inside the coop when the sun is up. So right. I get up, I pull on my rubber boots and I walk out there with my coffee and let them out. And they run out and greet you and, you know, are all excited. But like, being responsible for these animals is is, is something that's, that's really special. And I, I want to do the best job for them as, as I possibly can. Yeah, you have to sort of keep that kind of thing in mind when you're collecting animals, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that you don't get too big too fast. And and yeah. I love Shay Elliott also, and I love her blog. And she's also really honest. If you read any of her posts that have been in October 2017, which is around the time that we're recording this, she actually has been talking about being a little overwhelmed lately with all the work. So there's definitely, you know, ups and downsides to the homesteading. And a lot of times people only talk about the the fun stuff, but there's some, there is some work involved in it and there's some adjustment. So I'm, I'm glad that you're being honest that, you know, you had a little, you had to have get a little adjustment to starting to take care of animals. And that was really smart that you didn't get too big too fast. Yeah. And, you know, and that's something that I wrote about a little bit recently as well. Um, I had set some goals when we first moved or when I first made the announcement on the blog that, that we were moving and that the homestead was actually happening. And I, I wanted to share that, you know, we didn't reach any of those goals really, um, which was fine. It, it, it didn't really disappoint me. Like once I got here, I realized like, wow, this is, this is a lot. So you have to, you have to take it slowly and you have to forgive yourself um, and just, you know, figure out like, what can I do to do this better next year? And, and the gardening journal, that was, that was my biggest one. I had a lot of plants that, that I ended up killing by accident because I either didn't take care of them properly or like um, while we were flying back and forth, I planted all of the plants that I wanted to put in the garden in pots and I put them on the back porch so that they could get rained on while we were gone in Phoenix and coming back and forth. Well, when we got here, I never really got around to putting them in the ground. So I was just taking care of this really big container garden, mm -hmm. but then I didn't have a watering schedule. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean like we would have four days where there was no rain and then all of the plants would get wilty and sad. And I'm like, oh shoot, we're not going to have any peas if I don't go out there and water. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I hear you on the, uh, having trouble keeping the journal. I have the same problem. One thing that system that I've set up for myself is I have a folder in my um, file cabinet that is just labeled garden. And when I don't have time to write some journal entry about what's going on, if I just have a napkin or a piece of paper or a post-it note and I jot down a note, I drop it, I put a date on it and I drop it into that folder. And I, it, ke it keeps me going on keeping my records when I don't have time to sit down and write the post because sometimes with my journal, I, you almost feel like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to just write one sentence. I'm going to, I want to set aside time to really write out what's going on. But if you don't have time, it might just be important to know that, you know, we harvested this plant today and that's all that you need to know. So I do 
uh, like on scraps, pieces of paper, or if we're out and about, I'm out in the garden and I take a note on a piece of paper, I come in, I just drop it into that folder. And I know I can look back on that later. It's dated. I know when I did something and I didn't have to put it in the journal. So that's what I do to get away. That's my cheat (laughs) on how to get away with it. (laughs) That's a great idea. I think I might start implementing that. I've been carrying around a notebook with me so that I can keep my work tasks and the personal tasks that I want to get done as well as homesteading tasks. So I can kind of check everything off every day and I can go through my week and say, oh, like, what didn't I get done? Like, oh, I wanted to plant the chickens, you know, some wheat sprouts yesterday and I never got around to it. So I'll get up and I'll go and I'll start that and then I can check it off of my little to-do list. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And with the goals, I agree with you. I don't feel like I have to reach my goals. To me, Uh, My goal, I definitely, you know, it's something to attain to, but it's also more for me to tell myself how to show up. So if I know that I'm trying to reach this goal, I'll show up more than if I don't have a goal at all. And if I don't reach it, I still look can look back and see how far I got, even though I may not have reached it. It's not a pass or fail with me, I guess, is the point. You know, it's not like, oh, you either made it or you didn't. You know, it's either yay or you have a big sad face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's funny. I don't really think uh, homesteading can really be like a pass or or fail thing like that. That's sort of how you have to take it, because you never know when the next thing is going to go wrong. I mean, we've been really lucky here so far. We've been here almost six months and we haven't had any really big, you know, we haven't had any big animal catastrophes or, or crazy weather catastrophes, but those things are, are going to happen. So you have to sort of, you have to be able to sort of shrug everything off when it doesn't quite go to plan. Like, oh, I had planned to do this, but you know, it didn't happen, but maybe next year. I mean, there's always next year to do things. <laughs> yeah, I was I was really struck in your in on your blog on something that you said where you were talking about how your uh, things are slower, you breathe more, that you're finding almost like your days are different now than they were before. So I guess in in closing of this podcast episode, I would want to ask you what has been your biggest lesson or your biggest aha moment that you feel that you've learned from going from where you were to where you are now? Oh, my biggest lesson has definitely been that I need to establish a routine. And it's something that I'm still working on. And, you know, when you work from home, it's easy to sort of get into this uh, this slump where, you know, you get out of bed and, you know, you don't get dressed or shower or anything. You know, you grab your coffee and then you just start your day and you don't do things in a specific order if they don't have to be done in, in that order. So my biggest lesson so far has been really having to establish a routine. Like when we lived in Phoenix, both of the kids had to be driven to school. So that was the catalyst of the day for me. You know, the kids woke up and had to go to school. So that was what got the ball rolling. But here, that isn't necessarily the case. They do go to school in town, which is awesome. And my husband's been driving them where they have the option of taking the bus. But when I don't have to leave the house every day, like I did in Phoenix, I have to get myself, you know, prepped and in the mindset and and make a schedule for myself of things I'm going to do. Um, Because if I don't do that, then I'll find myself sitting in front of the computer with a coffee cup in hand, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, wait, why am I still in my pajamas and drinking (laughs) coffee? 
No, that's a good lesson. That's a really good lesson. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, Bev, I can't yeah. thank you enough for, for coming on and sharing your story and your information. I really appreciate you, you know, kind of pulling back the curtain and letting us see all the decisions that you made and, and what it is that you're building, because I think you're building something wonderful. And it's really exciting to have you share that with everybody. So thank you. Thank you. It, it's really exciting to get to share because I have been inspired by so many people. It was really important to me to to share what we're doing. So I'm happy to have the opportunity to do this. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you really enjoyed this episode uh, where we replayed the episode from the Living Homegrown podcast. The reason why I really wanted to do this episode and I didn't want to give away too much at the beginning was because lately life has kind of felt like it's been moving at a really fast pace that's been out of my control and it's totally getting ahead of me. It's no secret that I work on a lot of things. I have a lot of projects going at any given moment and a friend had pointed out to me that from the outside it looked like I had lost my connection to kind of why I had moved here and started all of this in the first place. And that was really uncomfortable to hear because I never want to feel as though I'm not being uh, authentically true to myself or I'm acting in a way or making motions that don't align, you know, with my values and my goals. So as uncomfortable as that was, it was really important for me to hear because it gave me the opportunity to kind of reflect on where I've been and my original whys and kind of see how that relates to where I'm currently at and where I'm going. So I hope that this episode has kind of encouraged you to maybe do the same thing in your own life if you've been feeling a little off or a little scattered or like you've kind of lost the solid ground uh, on which you were standing, which I think is a really common place to find yourself, especially this time of year when everyone is kind of setting their goals and setting their sights for the new year. It's kind of a time of reinvention and a time to kind of have a fresh start and a start over. But I wanted to share with you that the thing I think I learned the most from going back this far and reflecting on the very beginning of my sort of homesteading journey is that I'm really not that different from when I started. I thought I was going to be able to hear a noticeable difference, not only in just kind of my opinions on things or how I felt or how I saw or perceived things, but it turns out that I really didn't. I I am still that person from 2017 that you know, kind of took a leap into the unknown and was willing to kind of flounder around and kind of see where I ended up and where it could end up taking me. And I think hearing that was really good for me because I needed to know that it was okay to not have all the answers and to not know exactly what I want to do next or where I want to be. We're all kind of learning 
as as we go along. And uh, I really hope that through my storytelling, you know and understand that it's just part of the human experience. And there's nothing wrong with you and you're not broken if you find yourself in places where you just are not sure how you ended up there, how you'll get out or where you're going to go next. It happens to all of us at some point. And even when you think you have a clear path, you might not really end up in exactly the same place that you thought you were going to. And uh, my homesteading story really started in a place of individual need and want. And now I have clearly more shifted into a more kind of community-focused approach uh, to what I'm doing. And uh, I'm just really happy with where I've actually ended up. And I feel like I can see a little more clearly where I'm going. And it was nice to know that the ADHD and anxiety diagnosis actually didn't change me a ton. I was I was a little worried that it would, but I'm still Bev. I'm still myself. I still have my idealism and optimism and most importantly, uh, drive and ambition to do something different and experiment. So that is all I have to share about this episode. Uh, I would love to connect with you over this and hear what you thought of hearing this old episode of the Living Homegrown podcast. Let me know if the Living Homegrown podcast is actually where you originally found me or heard about me because I know that that is a possibility. And I'm always around for a chat about where you're at and what you're doing. So send me a private message over on Instagram or join our Facebook group. It's the We Drink and We Farm Things Facebook group. It's over on Facebook, obviously, because it's a Facebook group. (laughs) There's a link to it in the show notes. And you can get to the show notes by going to drinkandfarm.com slash 220. All right, we have a few Patreon shout outs. Angela Hollis, Tonya Harold, Kimberly Taylor, and DC Teitzel. Cheers, and thank you so much for being loyal Patreon peeps. And if you want to learn how to become a Patreon peep, you can go to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. That is where you'll actually find that after hours for this episode. I'll talk a little more casually about uh, this episode and kind of pick up on some things that I may have left out uh, during this sort of impromptu description of it. Uh, So that's all for now. Until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye now. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Podcasting is about so much more than just showing up. I mean, showing up as part of it, no you, no show. But podcasting is also about discovering and recognizing what prevents you from showing up or releasing your podcast episodes consistently and fixing it in a way that recognizes you're more than just a podcast host. 
Is it available time, unexpected extra things flying at you from all angles, or do you need to create your podcast in a way that fits your real life? Caitlin Dubin of the Roll Woman Podcast and I have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media just for food and farm-focused podcasters so they can easily get the tools they need to set up podcast systems that will let them do just that. You'll connect with other podcasters within our niche, learn how to start and continually improve the quality and consistency of your podcast, reach more listeners, get paid for your time, and so much more. Learn more about the Positively Farming Media Mastermind by going to PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.